1: Hi
2: there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Thursday night edition of the program. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 4 valdez And plenty to discuss today. The news doesn't stop. There's a bunch of domestic stuff I want to get into because there's obviously um, the impending speaker debacle. We're going to tackle that at the bottom of the hour. But I want to get into a couple of other things because Hunter Biden obviously pleaded not guilty to um, his gun charge, which, again, the gun charge was that he possessed a gun, a gun that they know was thrown into the garbage can outside of a convenience store or a deli. Now it's he didn't do anything wrong. Right. Even though he admitted to being um, an addict at the time and lying on these federal documents is part and parcel of being an addict and applying for the gun. Apparently, he says he's not guilty of that. And now today he's asking a judge to dismiss the case. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I guess that's part and parcel, right, of the, um, the defense process and whatnot. But his lawyer, uh, Abby Lowell, told uh, Magistrate Judge Christopher Burke that he will file a motion to dismiss the gun case because he believes that the July sweetheart plea deal remains in effect and that the gun statute is unconstitutional. The president's son is charged with one count of false statements in the purchase of a firearm and one count of possession of a firearm by a person who is an unlawful user or addicted to a controlled substance, and one count of a false statement related to information required to be kept by a federal firearms licensed dealer. Now, Hunter Biden's uh, sweetheart plea deal with the special counsel David Weiss collapsed after U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Norica questioned if the plea deal covered future potential charges of the Justice Department's ongoing investigation. The prosecution said the deal did not include any alleged uh, FARA violations, Foreign Agents Registration Act. So Weiss and Hunter Biden's disagreement on the plea deal caused Weiss to withdraw the agreement and later charge Hunter Biden with three gun violations, which he did after he himself was elevated to special counsel. And uh, they added they just had a few days ago, they added somebody to the special counsel's office, another former uh, Biden ally. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Now, Weiss could still bring the potential tax charges against the president's son, but we don't know what's going on with that. So that's the story with Hunter Biden. And it just makes me think, you know, uh, if you were the son of a president, many people think, well, he's the son of a president. He's going to get off regardless. That's what happens. The, the problem with this is if you were the son of a president and your name was Donald Trump Jr., do you think you'd get off or do you think they'd throw the book at you? Right. So it's not really the question of if you're the son of the president. It's the question of are you the son of a president they like or a president they dislike? And once we start throwing the rule book out the window and treating people differently because we don't like their politics, obviously, that's where we get into the mess that we're in. So uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but I just think it's fascinating. Now, uh, of course, last week we discussed with one of our callers, Doc, who brought this up. Hang on a second. There we go. Uh, the, uh, the foam thing on my microphone was loose. So the, um, the idea of this man running away from uh, uh, the country, and uh, who I'm talking about is Elvis Chan, who was supposed to appear on September 21st before Jim Jordan's Judiciary Committee and said, well, I'm out of the country on FBI business. I can't be there right now. He was scheduled to appear today and he did not show up. So, uh, I, you know, maybe the caller was right. Maybe this guy's on the run. Who knows? I didn't think that was going to be the case, but it looks like he he's uh, he's dodging Jim Jordan. Uh, now, Elvis Chan, who appeared to lie under oath about his role in censoring Hunter Biden and the laptop story, failed to show up today for his scheduled testimony, and the Judiciary Committee had subpoenaed him, like I said, uh, a week or week and a half ago. Chan is now nowhere to be found at the time of the interview, and this is according to The Daily Caller, and Uh, According to Russell Dye, who's uh, Jim Jordan's chief of staff, he says everything's on the table for Mr. Chan, including contempt. So we'll see what happens. Now, we know if you're held in contempt and you are of one party, you just laugh it off. If you're held in contempt and you're with another party, you get leg irons, shackles, everything, you name it, they put you in the tombs. So it's interesting. Now, Chan's testimony was initially expected to take place on September 15th until a dispute between the committee and the DOJ resulted in Chan's uh, interview falling through. So now the Judiciary Committee sent an initial subpoena for Chan to testify, and of course, that's failed as well. So I don't know where we stand with Elvis Chan. Um, Maybe the caller who was right, I don't know if it was Doc or somebody else who called in on that one. And I said, "Ah, I think he's going to show up. I, perhaps I've given too much of a benefit of the doubt to Elvis Chan. What does Elvis Chan, when did he know it? Where is Elvis Chan? I have no idea. But that's what's going on with that. Then we have some other news. Let me see here. What's the next story I wanted to talk about? Hold on a second. I'm going faster than I, my brain can move. Alright. This is funny. We'll do that one a little bit. That's funny. That's not so funny. I want to talk about Jim Jordan. Now, Jim Jordan, you know, he's uh, announced this run for speaker. And uh, I think he's got the best shot of winning. He seems to have a tremendous amount of support. Um, There's a a piece in the Washington Examiner uh, indicating what Jordan thinks it would look like if he uh, becomes Speaker of the House. And I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, According to the piece, it says, the Ohio Republican painted a picture of what A Jordan speakership would look like outlining his plan to avoid a government shutdown, resolving disputes within his Republican conference and what policies he would focus on and where the multiple investigations that are currently going on would stand if he departed from the chairman role. Now, I don't know. One of the things he said uh, this morning on Fox News was, I think the first thing you do is you pass the bipartisan bill that's in the Senate. We take up that bill here in the House and we pass it. It's a no shutdown act. Jordan referred to the bipartisan bill introduced by Senators Lankford and Hassan as the Prevent Government Shutdowns Act, requiring all members of Congress to continue working if appropriations aren't passed on time. If funds do run out, an automatic continuing resolution would be enacted on a rolling 14-day period. And those would go back to back until they get something figured out. Again, I, I'd love to hear about a budget being approved, but uh, I see this as a step in the right direction, but one that I think that doesn't go far enough. Uh, but again, he's there and I'm not. So I, I'm guessing he figures if we go for trying to pass a budget, which we haven't done in a million years, um, this is probably the, the next best step that he believes he can pull off. And one thing I know about Jim Jordan, A, he's a fighter and B, he's got a lot of friends uh, on the Hill and uh, a lot of people in the Republican conference like him. I'm not saying everybody likes him, but a lot of people like him. And to me, I think he's probably got the best shot. So we'll see how that goes. He continued and say uh, this would take the whole shutdown politics, uh, shutdown scenario, shutdown stuff off the table. You do that and then you focus on the legislation. And frankly, if we need some kind of continuing resolution or some stopgap measure, I think it would go all the way in the next year. Uh, I, I agree. It's an optimistic view. I hope it works. It's definitely better than the way we've been doing it. Uh, he continued to say that the way the debt ceiling was done, if you do a spending bill into the next year, there's an automatic cut that kicks in, and that's an incentive for us to get our work done and focus on the policies we want uh, for these 12 appropriation bills. So it sounds like a plan. We're going to work on um, inviting Jim Jordan on the program so he can explain this a little bit better. Uh, also have some invitations out to other members of Congress because I want to get different perspectives on what's going on so that we can keep everybody up to speed on what's happening. Uh, So we're going to continue to monitor this stuff. We're going to continue this discussion. Of course, I'm looking forward to your calls. We're going to be taking your calls all night. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez, with an S. America at Night, with Rich Valdez.
3: Matt Gaetz just got schooled by AOC and others. He was totally manipulated into doing this. There were eight so-called Republicans that got together with 208 Democrats to oust the Republican speaker.
4: I mean, I can't believe he's that stupid to be used to be manipulated by AOC and others to, to create this outcome.
2: That was Congressman Garrett Gray's Republican from Louisiana, uh, who is a right hand man to Kevin McCarthy. He said, "Quote: Matt Gates just got schooled by AOC, all out crazy. My least favorite congressman from the blah, 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 from the Bronx and Queens, and he says he was totally manipulated into doing this. Um, there were eight so-called Republicans that got together with two hundred and eight Democrats to oust the Republican Speaker. Now, I don't know, Mister Graves. He's welcome to come on the show if he'd like to discuss this. Uh, all I could say is, I, I I hear the criticism, and I haven't really responded or opined on it myself." Because I, I I I see why people could set this up and say that, you know, uh, AOC and Matt Gates came up with this plan to uh, get rid of McCarthy. However, what benefit does AOC have in getting rid of McCarthy? Would AOC prefer Jim Jordan as speaker? Or would she prefer Kevin McCarthy? My point exactly. So... I feel like this is just a little bit of rhetoric. It's very heated. There, there's a lot of guys that are out to get Matt Gates. They want to expel him. They want to do this. They want to do that. And uh, it's it's interesting. There's a piece in the Hill <clears throat> says GOP aims fire at Gates after McCarthy ouster. House Republicans are aiming their fire at Rep. Matt Gates after the congressman uh, staged a successful effort to oust Kevin McCarthy, sharply criticizing him for teaming up with Democrats to boot out the the speaker. And hurling a lot of personal insults his way uh, as it went down. Now, taking matters a step further, two uh, Republicans have said Gates uh, should be kicked out of the House Republican conference. Uh, The the Hill mentions that this is an unlikely outcome. I would agree with that. Uh, I think Matt Gates has um, a a fair amount of allies that are not going to sit there and vote. I'm sure some people want to get rid of him. I do get that. And I know there's a lot of people that were upset with him, in particular over timing. I get that too. But I think at the end of the day, if you get a Jim Jordan and if Gates says, hey, McCarthy, I will vote for you, but I want a single member to be able to put a motion to vacate. And if you don't do this, then I'm going to file the motion to vacate. And McCarthy did what he went against what he said he would do. And according to their deal, and Gates said he would do what uh, he said he would do, according to their deal. And I can't be mad at that. I really can't. Uh, As much as I I like both of those guys, I think they're both terrific, honestly. But anyway, so they want to kick out Gates. Now, the amped up rhetoric comes as the House GOP is being forced back to square one to elect a new speaker. Although I don't feel like they're back at square one because I think Jim Jordan was uh, was a favorite even then. And he said, I'm with Kevin McCarthy. So I get that. Now that Jim Jordan has thrown his hat in the ring, I think a lot of people are going to back him up. Whether or not he gets the 218 he needs is a different story, uh, and I think he'll eventually get it, even if it's on a subsequent vote. I, I don't think that it's gonna uh, that there's gonna be major opposition. Uh, it's not like we have uh, what's his name, Adam Kinzinger uh, or Liz Cheney to you know where we have to count on a vote, but there are others that you know I'm sure uh, aren't very very happy with him with uh, Jordan because you know they're maybe not as conservative. Or don't appreciate uh, you know, his direct approach or whatever it is. There's always a, a liberal or moderate Republican somewhere that you have to kind of cajole. And it is what it is. And again, now you have uh, Garrett Graves coming out saying that McCarthy um, should have stayed in place and that Gates was working with AOC. Now, listen, I, I, Gates has worked with AOC in the past. I'm not against bipartisanship. I think it's just got to make sense. And again, when you look at something like this, yes, it looks like you, you got a handful of, of disgruntled uh, Republicans to get together with all the Democrats to oust the Republican speaker. And it is, in my opinion, a, a bad look politically. Uh, but is it a bad move politically? This is the part that's debatable. And I think we only know when we get another speaker. I mean, this could be a black eye that they're going to use for us later on and say, look, these guys can't get their ducks in a row. They're killing each other. There's a civil war amongst Republicans. How could we elect somebody like that? That's truly the party of Trump, the party that doesn't know what's going on. They're just as crazy as he is. Maybe we should put them all in jail. Right? I could see a, a, an ad, a commercial kind of like that. But ultimately um, – the, the, the Graves commentary finishes with this. I can't believe he's that stupid to be used, to be manipulated by AOC and others to create this outcome. That sounds like a political statement. But again, his opinion, and I respect it. But now two other congressmen, Republicans, uh, by the way, uh, Anthony Desposito and from New York. And let's see, who's the other one here? Let me see. Well, he'll, he'll come up in a second. Uh, but either way, both of these guys... They um, they're saying that this is an act of heresy. And uh, D'Esposito Esposito says he's literally taken one of our oldest institutions and put it on a downward spiral all over selfish needs. Now, I can understand somebody being mad at a single congressman for doing something selfishly, for doing something for self-preservation, for doing something to grandstand, for doing something um, over a personal vendetta. I can totally understand that. However, I don't know that that's the case here. Right. There's all sorts of opinions going on. And even if that was an ulterior motive, I think that there was enough of the facts on the table where they were very public in their deal. And they said, look, here's the deal that we're we're ironing out. And Congressman Ronnie Jackson said it last night and he voted for McCarthy. But he said, I believe that Kevin McCarthy's days were numbered because of the moves that he was making. When you move a certain way, people are going to look at you a certain way. And I get that. I get that. As much as I like the guy, and I think he's effective at you know reaching across the aisle and doing what needs to be done, um, I realize sometimes that is a problem. I get it. I'm a very fair guy. I try to be very fair. I'm not here to torch everybody down to the ground. Sometimes I am, but I realize I, I worked for a congressman many years ago, Congressman Scott Garrett, and I learned a lot about how things work. And you really, I don't believe you can survive without the collegiality uh, that goes with working with everybody. Even like this radio show. Um, This is why I allow people that disagree with me to get right to the front every time they call. And I put them on the air and I give them time. And I try not to cut them off because I want to hear what the other side has to say. Because ultimately, the other side is my daughter's school teacher. The other side is the person making me coffee in the morning. The other side is somebody pumping my gas because I might get gas in Jersey where somebody else has to pump your gas. Only state in America where somebody else pumps your gas. And my point is, we live, we must coexist. I can't live in a world where I'm going I'm to up and move to a very conservative red county. God bless you if you've done it. Good for you. Not in the cards for me. Uh, I'm a New Yorker stuck in New Jersey, and this is one of the bluest places ever. If I want to go on a date, trust me, she's a liberal, right? It's super hard to find a conservative girl around here. So my point is, we all live in different circumstances, and we have to coexist. So I understand getting along with people. I also understand sticking by your principles, not bending uh, in 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 the face of an adversary, and and it's a it's a in my opinion it's a balancing act, is all it is. Now of course you have to stick to your guns and have principle, and and provide contrast and you know gain public opinion so that we can have a smaller government, so that we can have a more um, uh, robust economy, so that we don't have so much spending, so that it's harder to push the pork barrel spending? Absolutely. All of that has to be done. But we're going to get to the bottom of this because straight ahead, Congressman Matt Matt Gates. I can't talk today. Matt Gates is joining us next. You don't want to miss it. He goes one on one with me and we're going to talk about everything. Did he make a mistake? Does he regret it? You're going to hear it from him straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez and we're coming right back.
4: monarchmoney.com slash podcast
5: well thank you rich and thank you for everything i know you very well and i have i listen but i have a lot of people that listen and
4: they love your show and i appreciate it very much
1: america at night
4: With Rich Valdez. Why do you think Jim Jordan's in the capital seat?
6: Because it's all about I think if it was secret ballot, uh Steve Scalise would win overwhelmingly, or anybody but Jim Jordan. But what you're gonna start seeing, Anderson, is on the emails, on the fundraising, uh, fundraising, on you know, other cable news networks. Jim is gonna be now the new litmus test of are you a true conservative or not? Steve Scalise won't be, it'll be Jim Jordan. And so there will be a slow acquiescence of everybody to Jim Jordan. That's my prediction. I certainly hope for the country I'm wrong. But I'll also say this. If he becomes
2: speaker, it will be interesting to see how a shut it all down kind of guy actually governs a country. That's uh, Adam Kinzinger on CNN with Anderson Cooper saying that. He believes that people wouldn't vote for Jim Jordan. I want to get to the bottom of that and a couple other things with our guest, Congressman Matt Gates from Florida. Some say he's a bomb thrower. Some say he's a patriot. We've got him on the line to give us the breakdown. Congressman Matt Gates, welcome, sir.
3: Hey, Rich, and I definitely choose patriot and bomb thrower, actually. A <laughs> bomb throwing patriot. That's right. Sometimes you need those, actually.
2: I'm with you on that one, brother. So i um, glad you joined us tonight. I wanted to get into a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it seems like the, um, the consensus is a lot of people are gravitating towards Jim Jordan. Uh, what are your thoughts?
3: Jim Jordan is my mentor. He's someone I've styled of much of my own service in the Congress after. He is our most talented, uh, hardest working member, uh, and I think he would make a phenomenal speaker. Uh, I also think very highly of Steve Scalise. Uh, Steve Scalise uh, has the most inspirational story in the entire Congress. Uh, he has shown a commitment to the institution, a grit. Uh, he's someone who's broadly uh, you know, well thought of throughout every segment of the Republican Conference. Uh, and, you know, then you get the wild card, right? You've got President Trump mm-hmm. saying, hey, if you need somebody to be interim, uh, he may be coming uh, to Washington, <laughs> D.C. on he Tuesday. He might come in clutch. So I guess if you know, if the options are Jordan, Scalise or Trump, uh, the one thing we know for certain at this stage of the game is that the House of Representatives will be led by someone who is more conservative, more principled and better thought of than the prior speaker. And in that sense, we've got an upgrade.
2: Now, when we talk about that, and this was something I was I was um, wargaming a little bit with um, your colleague, Congressman uh, Ronnie Jackson, with with the tight or I should say slim majority that you guys have. We, if we put somebody um, that that can't, if, if three people decide to go for Trump, it, it may ruin the whole thing, right? You won't get the 218, or you just might get the 218. Do you think a lot of people are going to put forward uh, Donald Trump for speaker, and would it matter, or would we just have to go more rounds of votes to finally agree on somebody?
3: Well, it may be the case that... Uh you know for a round people want to show a symbolic uh gesture of support to president trump i nominated president trump back in january actually gave yeah. a nominating speech for him so i i see the vision in that but at the end of the day my expectation is that um uh, most people will want to be where a majority of the conference is on this uh particularly you know when you've got multiple great options before us so I'm all in. If Trump wants to do it, uh, I I could really get behind that uh, because I know he's got a lot going on right now with the campaign and having to kind of single-handedly samurai off all of these nonsense legal matters that uh, mm-hmm. the Democrats are using in, a, in an aggressive lawfare strategy. And uh, the House of Representatives is really the sole institution that the American people can uh, believe in right now and have hope in for conservative uh, change and for some test and, and check against the Biden administration that's been weaponized against them.
2: Now, a couple of other colleagues of yours, uh, Graves and Despacito, uh they're saying uh, they're really upset with you that you've torn down the institution. Uh, there's some talk about uh, trying to make a move for expulsion, which doesn't seem like it would take um, have any legs. Uh, what's your reaction to that?
3: They want to expel me because I followed the rules and demanded that our leadership follow the law to write a budget. Think about what that says about where things stand in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. right now, that if someone says, look, you know, since 1974, a law has been on the books requiring the Congress to write a budget. In January, Kevin McCarthy looked us in the eye and said, we will have a balanced budget. We will have single-subject appropriations bills. We will not get to September and get backed up against a continuing resolution. And instead of doing the things he promised, he sent everybody home on a six-week vacation and then uh, you know, reverted to the old Washington muscle memory of continuing resolutions to back people up against the holidays. And I've been here for seven years. I'm willing to die on the Hill to get a spending strategy that puts downward pressure on spending. And I know that McCarthy wasn't taking us there. I knew it with absolute certainty. And I knew that he was doing so in violation of this power sharing agreement that he had entered into with House conservatives in January. So if we were going to allow that January agreement to just be in open and raw breach, then we would look less serious and people would believe in us less. And I think right now, folks have to be able to have some hope that there's someone here in Washington fighting for them. And it wasn't Kevin McCarthy. It sure could be a Jim Jordan, a Steve Scalise, a Donald Trump.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I totally get that. I mean, those are the rules of the game. He agreed to those rules of the game. You held them to account. Uh, some of your critics are saying that this created an unnecessary mess that uh, empowers Democrats. Uh, what do you say to that?
3: Well, the unnecessary mess that empowers Democrats, is not us booting McCarthy and taking a few extra votes to upgrade the position. The complete mess that empowered Democrats was the debt limit bill that many of my critics voted for a debt limit bill that not only increased the debt limit, but, that that totally suspended the debt limit until January one of 2025. So the, the very people who gave Joe Biden an unlimited amount of leash to drive up debt in our country to, uh, drive higher interest rates, to drive up higher costs for household goods, they think that a few extra votes in Washington, D.C. is disruptive. I believe that the collapse of the American dollar would be disruptive. And that's what I'm working to stop.
2: Do you think that McCarthy didn't take your threat seriously? Earlier in the week, I played a clip of him on um, one of the Sunday shows saying, oh, Matt's this and Matt's that. And, um, you know, bring it on. And you brought it on. Uh, do you think he didn't take the the threat seriously that you would actually exercise a motion to vacate?
3: I don't know, and I regret that it got to this point. Honestly, I gave a very serious speech on August 31st on the House floor, and I laid out the things that the Speaker had to do, and I stressed that it was within Kevin McCarthy's total control whether or not he would face a motion to vacate. Because contrary to what you've heard from my critics. I wasn't making demands on Kevin McCarthy to compel some sort of action from Joe Biden or the Senate, some impossible task, right? It's not an impossible task for the House of Representatives to put up a balanced budget like he promised. It is not an impossible task for the House of Representatives to have a plan to fund the government through single subject spending bills like he promised. So these were things he could have done. He chose not to do them. And I don't think that was just uh, ignorance or poor judgment. I think it's because that's how the lobbyists and the special interests who owned Kevin McCarthy accumulate power and enforce their will. Because if everything's backed up where it's one big up or down vote on everything, you've got a few people with some green eye shades and a back room writing the entire budget of the government of the United States of America. And if you buy off the right politicians at the top, that means your interests. They're going to be reflected in that legislation. And what's good for the American people gets downgraded. And I've seen it year after year after year. And I was willing to do what was necessary to break the fever of of, of, of that inclination.
2: So here we are. And, and my hope is, you know, as a conservative bystander, I'm looking at this and I say, well, you know what, it looks a little ugly right now. People are freaking out. But if we end up with a Jim Jordan, I think we're in way better shape than we were before. And and that's a good thing. Uh, there's also the, you know, the, the question of timing. And I get it. Sometimes it's not a right time to pull the trigger on on keeping your word uh, and with the middle of the CR and another CR and and that's exactly what I th- sounds like you're you're debating is not putting forth any more CR's and actually balancing a budget D- do you feel that w- we're actually gonna get to that stage um hopefully what you did isn't in
3: vain look this the, the fight is not over the, Kevin McCarthy uh, moving out of the speaker's office is not a reason to uncork the champagne we have to get to the deliverable I viewed him as a barrier to that deliverable, but the deliverable is the, the budgets that balance, uh, and it's certainly the bills that are presented for individual scrutiny and review with open amendments for Republicans and Democrats to offer their ideas uh, to reduce spending. Uh, I do think we've got uh, upgrades at the position across the board with either Jordan or Scalise. Uh, I think I think highly of those guys, and uh, my you know I'm not certain that either of them is a thousand percent committed to my view on fiscal matters. And and that's why, frankly, I haven't decided uh, which of the two to support because I want to have a real clear conversation with each about their plans to reduce spending.
2: If you don't think either of them are on board with your vision, why not throw your hat in the ring? I think there's a lot of people that would like to see you as speaker.
3: Well, I would make a great leader. I just have far too few followers. And uh, I think, you know, I joked with someone earlier today, I I can't even keep a food tester in this town because they keep dying on me. Um, But uh, my my role in the movement is not to be, you know, at the helm of the House of Representatives. But I I do hope that that I am, uh, you know, a weighted keel of the vessel and that I can keep us, you know, steady and and going in the right place, uh, despite the turbulent waters. And to me, that means breaking this corrupt cycle that has empowered the special interests, that has driven up you know, just the cost of everything. I mean, $700 every month uh, is the increase to every American family when compared to the same time last year. In 99% of American counties, the average income does not give you affordability to be able to buy a home. And these are the consequences of irresponsible decisions in Washington. Those decisions emerge from a corrupt process, and and that's why I'm trying to, to, to use every tool at my disposal to change it.
2: Switching gears real quick, uh, Joe Biden's building a border wall, sir. And I like to call him Joe El Baboso Biden. And, and I find it just, I mean, I couldn't stop laughing when I read this article. Uh, what are your thoughts on Joe, Bill, Joe Biden building miles of border wall?
3: Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Democrats were calling walls racist uh, while they were living <laughs> behind them for their own protection. But it shows how much the conditions of this unchecked immigration have moved the Overton window used to be the right. case back in the mid 90s Democrats were actually for physical security at the border it, it it in the 1996 platform for the Democratic Party they were in favor of physical barriers and that the wokeification of the Democratic Party led to these sanctuary jurisdictions and the ability for illegal aliens to get all kind of welfare benefits health care transportation child care education um you know and It put an incredible strain on communities and on social safety nets that, of course, we want to preserve for our fellow Americans and and people who are here legally. So that, I think, has really caused an awakening Uh, in every political survey I've seen in the last month. The number one issue is uh, immigration, and that's because people can see with their own eyes that the Biden administration has created conditions of chaos on purpose uh, at the border And so I think this is a signal that uh, that the windows moved and we're winning the argument. Now we've got to get the policies in place so that there's not the incentive to come here illegally in in mass.
2: I hear that, brother. And uh, from your lips to God's ears that we can get that done. Folks, we're on with Congressman Matt Gates, Republican from Florida. Congressman, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, You're a gentleman, a scholar and a patriot, no matter what they say. Keep throwing the bombs.
3: All right, man. Thanks so
2: much for having me. You got it. Take care. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez.
0: Why does his own Department of Homeland Security Secretary say in a public notice quote, there is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers. Here's what I can
7: say. I can speak to what the president was very clear in saying. And also what you all have been reporting about, uh, about this, uh, uh, this construction. Uh, So the facts are this, uh, this, uh, this is not new. Uh, These funds were appropriated in fiscal year 2019 under Republican leadership. And DHS is required by law to use the funds for appropriate appropriated purpose. That's what we're seeing. This was announced back in June by the DHS. And so look, we, we believe that there are better effective ways of moving forward to secure our border and security, we, our border security, and we have continuously asked for Congress uh, to act uh, to provide our CBP, uh, the law enforcement, uh, law enforcement at the border, uh, to give them the resources they need to do their jobs.
2: So KJP again is talking in circles. She's saying, and that's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean Pierre. She says uh, we've been clear, we've been clear, we've been clear. But again, what what I heard yesterday. Uh, from the Associated Press, and they got this from the announcement on the U.S. Federal Register: is that a registry? Rather, is that Secretary Mayorkas said, "quote There is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States in the project areas." That's a quote from Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, coming right out of the notice published yesterday in the Federal Registry. So, how is it that he turns around today and says this?
8: There is no new administration policy with respect to the border wall. From day one, this administration has made clear that a border wall is not the answer. That remains our position and our position has never wavered. The construction project reported today was appropriated, funded during the prior administration in 2019, and the law requires the government to use these funds for this purpose. We have repeatedly asked Congress to rescind this money, but it has not done so, and we are compelled to follow the law.
2: So that's Mayorkas again saying they're compelled to, as if, oh, we got our hands tied. Trump has our hands tied. It's all his fault, blah, blah, blah. But they literally bypassed 26 federal laws in order to do this. So uh, how, do we, how do we go about this? And again, uh, the, the quote from the, from the federal registry says that they cited, quote, high illegal entry. So I'm, I'm just not uh, clear here how you say one thing in writing where you're, you're moving forward with the building of the wall, and then you come out and say, well, no, no, it's not the wall. And I'll tell you why. Because politicians talk out of both sides of their mouths, and typically it's the Democrat politicians that are mainly doing it. But again, they're probably all guilty of it. and It's a fair statement. This one, this one isn't working. So, folks, stick around. we got more to discuss on this and everything else, plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America
9: at Night with Rich Valdez. I'll answer one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have
10: to use the money for what was appropriate. I can't stop that. Do
0: you believe the border wall
10: works? No.
2: All right, that's Joe Biden again with the backpedal. Uh, But yet they waived 26 federal laws. These laws include uh, laws to protect wildlife and public health. This is a report in the New York Post. The Clean Air Act, the Safe Drinking Water Act, Endangered Species Act, Solid Waste Disposal Act, Farmland Protection Policy Act, and Native American Graves and Protection Repatriation Act. So, Joe Biden, I say you're full of it. Your nickname should not be Robin. Beware. It should be. BS Joe Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden lies again. He's full of it and he's building 200 miles of border wall. And he's an even bigger chump if he's doing it because Trump is forcing him to do it. (laughs) You got to love that. Folks, straight ahead, we're going to talk about a spy from Iran at the Pentagon.
4: Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about
1: Hi there,
2: good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media and our phone number. If you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833 482 Valdez. And uh, as I was mentioning earlier, there's a bunch of things going on uh, with the news today. There's. Um, a new report that the FBI is now weaponizing its resources to monitor Trump supporters in the run up to 2024. I wondered why there was a black SUV following me the other day. Now I have an inclination of why. Now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about domestic policy and foreign policy, kind of where the intersection thereof, if you will. There's an excellent piece in Tablet magazine. And it here's, well, let me give you the headline. <clears throat> Watch this high-level Iranian spy busted in Washington. It's actually a spy ring. Uh, The trail that leads from Tehran to D.C. passes directly through the offices of Robert Malley and the International Crisis Group. Now, one would think it is the job of every spy to get a job in industry and government and report back to their country. Uh, But one would also believe that in the United States we have better counterintelligence protocols than others, and that we would catch these guys. So Thankfully, we did catch these guys. But I'm just shocked that, you know, um, th- this is going on in, you know, in, in right in D.C. And um, perhaps that's my own naivete. I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a ton of spies in D.C. Uh, posing as diplomats, posing as many different things. Uh, but I want to get to the bottom of it. I want to do it with our buddy Lee Smith. He's the only other Puerto Rican I know that the only other conservative I know born in Puerto Rico.
5: Lee Smith, welcome, sir. Rich, thank you so much for inviting me on tonight uh, to be with your great audience, and thanks for the cool introduction. Uh, you bet. You bet. Now,
2: folks, uh, we've had Lee Smith on before. He's a columnist with Tablet Magazine. And Lee Smith, your headline here, high-level Iranian Spying busted in Washington. Tell us about it.
5: Yeah, well, uh, actually, uh, our national security apparatus hasn't done anything about it yet. Um, It it was a a, a tranche of emails, Iranian government emails, between a number of different figures uh, who uh, work in Washington, D.C., at various think tanks that gave evidence of what was going on. This uh, Iranian spy unit was set up by the regime in 2014 um, to help push, push Iran's interest. In the negotiations over Iran's nuclear program, uh, when during the Barack Obama administration, and so what we've seen ten not ten, not quite ten years later, but nearly ten years later, we've seen now that one of the uh, one of the members of this spy ring, a woman named Ariana Tabatabai, was uh, employed at the State Department starting in February. 2021 and is now at the Pentagon. Now, uh, astonishingly, Rich, this person is still at the Pentagon, even though these emails are now in public, even though a number of different stories, in addition to mine, have been published. uh, And there's a number of different Republican senators who have brought attention to this, who've been hollering rightly uh, about it. But she's still at the Pentagon. And um, astonishingly, she is the chief of staff. The deputy director of defense in the office for special operations. That is, this person has um, top secret, compartmentalized uh, uh, intelligence regarding some of America's not only most vital secrets, but most sensitive missions. It's it, it, it's a pretty shocking story, and it's pretty shocking that no one in the government administration has done anything about it yet. And, Rich, I think one of the reasons is, for what you were talking about in the introduction, this is a good, uh, an administration, a White House, that is more focused on targeting its domestic opponents than it is in rooting out American adversaries. Of course, unfortunately, that also raises the question whether or not the Biden administration actually perceives the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, a terror regime, with plenty of American blood on its hands as an American adversary, or rather, do they see it as an American ally? That's certainly how Barack Obama saw it, and that's why Barack Obama wanted to legalize their nuclear weapons program. The deal that Donald Trump withdrew from in May 2018, that Joe Biden and his White House are keen to restore that deal in order to get the Iranians a a fully legal industrial-scale nuclear weapons program.
2: All right. So let's hold on a second here, Lou Smith, because that was a lot. That was a lot. There's a lot there. I know. I'm sorry. I I just got
5: on a riff. Sorry. Yeah.
2: No, no, that's fine. I didn't mind that. I'm just saying uh, you you had me at um, nobody in our government's national security establishment has done anything to stop this. And the fact that they're still there. How does something like that happen in your opinion?
5: Well, in my article, I quote a former CIA official, a great guy, Peter Theroux. And Peter, you know, Peter worked when he was at the uh, CIA. And Peter said, well, look, the optimistic reading is that the FBI found out about her and what she was doing. And they started following her and they teched up her apartment, as Peter puts it in the piece. Um, That's the optimistic reading. And then, as Peter says, but to believe that, You have to believe the FBI is clean, right? Rather than complicit in what went on. It looks to me, well, it looks to me like uh, the less optimistic reading is more plausible. And that is, is that the Biden administration knew exactly what they were getting with this person. And they allowed Robert Malley, who was their chief, uh, who was their Iran envoy, to push this woman into the State Department and now into the Pentagon. And Malley, I should say, uh, is on leave and his security clearances have been suspended. That happened in April, and it appears that this um, that this spy ring, which he which he uh, credentialed and supported, in the private sector uh, again. It's a, it's a it's kind of a dense story, so I'll try to pull it out as much as possible. But uh, the, I mean, to answer your main question, I think that uh, our, our national security establishment knew exactly what they were getting. But this is what the president and this is what the White House wanted. They wanted this person in the state, Department, as as preposterous as this sounds. It's crazy, I know. But uh, but they definitely knew who she was. Why? Because we know that we know about foreign intelligence intercepts, right? And neither the FBI nor any other agencies paid any attention to the regulations they're supposed to abide by, right? They unmasked Trump officials. Um, They they unmasked pro-Israel activists and U.S. lawmakers during the Iran deal. So there is no doubt in my mind that they were listening in and they knew about this woman's communications with high-ranking Iranian regime officials. So the White House knew about it. The FBI knew about it because they're the ones who are doing counterintelligence. And goodness only knows what other agencies knew about it too, but definitely they knew about it. <clears throat> and we know that one of the reasons, uh, more evidence that they knew about it is the fact that she's still there, right? If they were surprised and shocked and scandalized, they would have moved her out right away as soon as they found out about these emails. And as soon as these stories started breaking over the last two weeks.
2: So now this, uh, Robert Malley,
5: uh, he's in the wind. Yeah. Where do you think he yes. is? Uh, well, I mean, he, he's on leave. I mean, he's he's apparently already gotten an appointment at a couple of Ivy League universities. I believe at Princeton, and oh, maybe so he's at not Yale really as employed. well. He's just I'm not out of the picture. Sure. Oh no, no, they just moved him out of the government. Um, you know, that that's it. It's not like uh, I I I think that everyone who's involved in this look. It here's here's the most um, most depressing feature of this story. That even though it's in public now, the very bad things that were done by the Biden administration and by Biden officials, it's unlikely, Rich, that anyone's ever going to pay a price for inserting an Iranian agent into the United States government, first at the State Department and now at the Pentagon. I doubt Robert Malley's is going to pay a price. I doubt it's even going to affect the reputation of uh, of, of the Biden administration as shocking as it is.
2: So we get to keep uh, miss, uh, Ariane Tabatabai.
5: Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. She'll, she'll I mean, look, look, good. I mean, I, m- maybe they'll move her out at some point, right? They'll try to do it. Uh, if they do it though, they'll do it very quietly when no one's looking. So, so it doesn't look as though they're uh, admitting a mistake with what they did. But right now she is still at the Pentagon. She's still chief of staff for the deputy uh, deputy secretary of special operations. It, it, it's it's astonishing.
2: And that's Christopher Meyer. Now, again, uh, just yeah. pure speculation. Do you think Christopher Meyer's unwitting un, uh, participant in this? Do you think he's fully aware? Is he part of this uh, this uh, spy ring as well? I
5: don't. I don't know. I mean, that 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 that's a very good question. Whether he. You you would think that uh, you would think that they have pretty good intelligence in the Pentagon too. I would, I would hope, and people would start asking questions, say, okay, so where did she come from before? What are uh, what are her and as as I go through the story, you know the the CIA a uh, former CIA official I talked to says just you know one of the things to get clearances in, they grill you on all your foreign contacts, and when you're talking about foreign governments, that takes it to another. And then when we're talking about what uh, what our intelligence agencies call non-frat governments, those are those are real American adversaries like China, like Russia, like Iran, like Cuba, Mm -hmm. Venezuela, maybe on that list right now. I'm not sure. But once you're talking about someone who has high level contacts with non-frat governments, I mean, that I mean, that should prevent entirely anyone from getting any sort of clearance. So I I don't know what role uh, Mr. Meyer at the Pentagon played in this, but I find it unlikely he didn't know about this. It seems that everyone in the U.S. government who needed to know would have known about it.
2: Shocking. It really is. I mean, again, I should say disappointing, but not surprising because, you know, it really Um, doesn't shock me, but it is disappointing.
5: Folks, we're on with Lee Smith. Go ahead. No, uh, no, I was just going to say that this is, you know, this is part, unfortunately, of a long tradition right now. And it, unfortunately, it's not just Democrats, Rich. You know, a lot of Republicans have done bad things. I mean, one of the things I've been looking at, and we may have talked about it, is the long U.S. relations with uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. I, I, I mean, the, the amount of stuff that's going on throughout our government, both in the executive branch and the legislative branch, it's just amazing. So maybe they've just come to take this for granted. That this is how Washington now operates.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty depraved culture, uh, lamentably. And uh, Lee Smith, he is a columnist with Tablet Magazine. We're going to continue our conversation. He's got another excellent piece here in the Tablet. The war on Trump is a war on millions. I want to get to the bottom of that as well as uh, there's just news every day of Trump. You can't say this, you can't say that, yet he's got a great statement every day. So (laughs) I kind of love that. Anyway, folks, we're coming right back with Lee Smith. Don't move a muscle.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
6: want to listen to you rich all the time
1: america at night
2: with rich valdez all right america welcome back rich valdez our guest lee smith he's a columnist with the tablet magazine and there's a a bunch of news all the time about trump and uh, i want to get uh lee smith's take on a number of things because there's just a lot there's just a lot out there uh lee smith what's your take on what's currently going on uh, with uh, the 24 election, and in particular, Trump, Trump's current legal dilemma?
5: Well, not not knowing much about the law. I'm hesitant to give too many opinions about that, though, since I have been following uh, Justice Department and FBI corruption for a little bit now, and I know so a fair amount about that. Well, <laughs> well, let's let uh, let, let, let's leave that for another time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my sense is that these are all ginned up; they're all phony charges, they're all phony indictments. And um, you know, I, 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 one of the things I think we have to real one of the things we have to recognize is that they're they're scared of Donald Trump. Now, there's a theory that's been circulating, and I hear it fairly often. I'm sure you do too, Rich, and. And, and, and folks in your audience, too, this idea that, oh, no, the Democrats are just going after Trump to try to elicit a whole bunch of sympathy because they really want to run against Donald Trump and they're scared of DeSantis or Nikki Haley or whatever yeah, they're supposed to I've be scared that. of. That, yeah, that's just not how the Democrats operate. They're right. trying to destroy Trump. to destroy Donald Trump, right? They're going after Trump aides, they're going after his lawyers, they're going after Trump supporters. They're not doing this to elicit sympathy. There's no bank shot involved here. That's too clever for politics. Politics, it's, it's, it's all big colors, big shapes. They just want to destroy Donald Trump. Um, what that tells us is, as, as we've heard from some, uh, from some you know, big Democratic Party bosses, like Donna Brazile, they're scared of Donald Trump. They believe even with everything they have going, even with the press in their corner, the intelligence services in their corner, big tech, even with all they can do, as they did it in 2020, even with all the election laws that were unconstitutionally revised, they're still terrified of Donald Trump. And that's why they want to destroy him. Um, So for me, uh, you know, Rich, I don't know about you, but I, I haven't had a whole lot of faith in polls the last few years. I kind of see them in the same context as the regular, you know, mainstream media. You know, there's something you can learn from it, but they're not entirely credible. I think that I I think the big thing is we see all of their moves against Trump. We see it in the federal charges. We see the state charges. We see what's going on. in um, Manhattan courtrooms, they're worried about Donald Trump. Why? Because a lot of people are starting to see what's been going on with the country, whether that has to do with uh, you know with opening our borders, whether that has to do with the amount of money being thrown uh, for a proxy war in Eastern Europe on the border of a uh, of a nuclear armed power, uh, whether it has to do with inflation, whether it has to do with whether it has to do with energy prices that are rising again, whether it has to do with the different. know, the different insane regulations coming out of this administration, whether it has to do with the different social and cultural initiatives they're pushing, like standing behind the trans agenda. So I think a lot of Americans are looking and saying, "Okay, we didn't know that this is what Joe Biden and the Democratic Party were actually about. Um, So they have good reason to be worried. That's how I see it. But I I don't they're not going to relent and it's gonna get worse. It's bad now, but over the next year, uh, over the next 13 months, I believe it's gonna get even worse. The kinds of pressures, um, the kind of things they're gonna throw at Donald Trump and his supporters, and at the country at large. Remember what they did last time with COVID. They wanted to terrorize and terrify the entire country. And a lot of us were terrorized and terrified. Not everyone, thank goodness, But they're definitely definitely going to opt for that again, whether it's another, um, you know, whether it's some kind of new mandates or whatever. It's going to get bad again. Lee Smith, let everybody know how they can follow you quickly. Uh, On Truth Social, Lee Smith, uh, D.C., same on Twitter, Lee Smith in D.C., and also my locals page, leesmith.locals.com. Thank you, Rich.
2: That's really cool. You bet, brother. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, Lee Smith. Folks, we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. And today there were competing arguments being heard in federal court as jurors heard different explanations on why FTX collapsed. If you remember, that was the, the uh, cryptocurrency exchange uh, founded by Sam Bankman Freed. This guy Freed was into a lot of things and he got into a bunch of trouble. And um, it, it, it just, it, I find it interesting that I, I didn't read about this until just a little while ago. And why? Because the, the headlines are dominated by who's going to be the next speaker, is Trump going to be the temporary speaker, and all sorts of other stuff. And, you know, when we look at the the world of finance and the economics and all of this crazy, there's so much going on in the news and so little to be talked about lately, at least when you look at, you know, some of the uh, the big legacy media. So I want to talk about the the latest with the student loan debacle because people are now expected to pay back their their loans as of a few days ago, right? Starting October 1st, people had to start paying back their their debt. And the average federal student loan debt is thirty seven thousand dollars, uh just over that. Three hundred thirty seven thousand three hundred thirty eight dollars. And I um yeah you know, I think I, I probably have have had that much in student loans myself. And it, it's just interesting to see how this is happening and and the uh, the administration, the Biden administration's constantly conjuring up a new way to try to make this go away for people. I think a, in an effort to earn some votes, and B, really, because they they truly have a belief that government is in place for that purpose. To say, oh, we can cancel your debt. And there are people that believe that they should borrow money from banks. Just imagine if I went to a friend of mine and said, hey, listen, I'm going out. I'm going on vacation. And, uh, you know, I spent more than I thought on the ticket. Um, can you loan me a $1,000? bucks? i am starting a new job soon, and I will, uh, I'll pay you back next week. Next week comes around, and I, I say, you know what? I didn't get that job, so I'm going to need you to cancel my debt. How does that even work? It doesn't work. So that's why I want to talk to Bill Dendy. Uh, he's a financial advisor with Raymond James, and he's our guest. Bill Dendy, welcome, sir.
9: Hey, it's great to be with you. And it's interesting. We've had a three-year hiatus on making these payments. And you would think over the three-year hiatus, a lot of people would take that opportunity to get things in line so that they would know that this day would eventually come when the payments would be due. And they would have a store of money already set aside, ready to go. But for a lot of people, either the jobs weren't there or the discipline wasn't there to not expand their lifestyles and put that money aside. And so we hear a lot of folks saying that with this October 1st, beginning of the payments, they just don't have it to pay. And there's no way they're going to be able to make their budgets work and into the system.
2: You know, Bill Dendy, this is one of those things. That really doesn't fit in my head. And I I usually get both sides of every political argument or whatever it is. This is one that I really I'm looking at, you know, images and these articles of people holding up signs saying cancel my loan or cancel my student loan. And I'm thinking, when did that become a commonplace practice to willfully take a student loan? And then willfully just say, cancel my debt. I mean, we don't do Imagine buying a car and you go, listen, I, I, it, it didn't work out how I thought. I want you to cancel. The only time they're canceling your, your car loan is when they repo your car or you pay it off, one or the other. I, I don't understand why it's become somehow acceptable in the minds of anybody that you can go and borrow money, but you don't have to pay it back. What am I missing, Bill Dundee?
9: Well, a lot of these students were led to believe it would work out that way. The administration itself led them to believe that this is gonna be a push going forward, and uh, uh, it it went all the way to the Supreme Court before it got struck down, so it, it got awful close to having a lot of debt canceled. But keep in mind that even with the broad canceling not being allowed, Biden just this week canceled another $9 billion of debt, And overall, we've canceled $127 billion, $127 billion of the $1.7 trillion of debt for like 3.6 million borrowers. And so there's been a lot of debt already canceled. And this is the part that got through. And part of it's canceled under a program of people were misled. Uh, There was... uh, Uh, like $37 million uh, that was canceled for those who took out loans and went to the University of Phoenix because the University of Phoenix was over-inflating the value of a degree and may not have had enough of its students get through the program. Um, And I, I think that's interesting that we see that a lot of people that borrow money don't ever finish their degree plan. And I think it's interesting that they're putting that back on the schools, not the students who didn't find a way to finish the degree plan. So there's a whole lot of not taking responsibility, perhaps. But there may be some people who were taken advantage of. Uh, And there are people that may be disabled and not able to make the payments, and you can understand those. But uh, I think you're right. The administration would like to totally eliminate all the debt of all students and have government pay for our education. And that sounds a whole lot like uh, I have a friend that came from Cuba, (laughs) <laughs> um, and, uh, you thing. know, they said there, uh, education's free and you're encouraged to go ahead and be a doctor or as much education as you can get. Of course, you don't get paid a whole lot for doing that. And it is a communist country. So I, I don't know.
2: You know, Bill in when, when you go to, to school in Cuba to become a doctor, a dentist or a lawyer, you, you don't open up your own financial services, uh, practice. You don't open up your own medical practice. You work for the government. So it makes sense for them to, to have people going to school to do these things because that's their workforce. And, and they don't have the opportunity to move forward, which is really crazy. But when you look at that, it, it to me it seems like if the federal government in the United States wants to educate people at the uh, baccalaureate level, the master's level, doctoral level, whatever, what have you, and it's free, then then perhaps we should really question whether it's free and what they're teaching. Uh, somebody once told me, and not to get too uh, off the deep end here, but it's an interesting point that you raised. Somebody once told me, you know, not everything is bad about communism. And when you look at the, the Castro regime, when they came in, literacy rates and children's, uh, children's literacy rates skyrocketed. And A, I thought to myself, A, anybody could cook the, the books and come up with any numbers they want. But B... The reason kids were reading so much was because Castro made it his business to make sure that they were teaching about Castro and how great he was and how bad the imperialist Yankee Americans are. And and it, this was their way of obviously um, you know, re-educating people to their communist ideals. And I just think to myself, we see so much with the rise of uh, different types of uh, philosophies, whether it's the, uh, the Marxist philosophies or others, that are in... Um, our institutions of higher learning that it makes me think once the government really has control by way of, you know, forgiving debt that people borrow, et cetera, et cetera. um, There's, I, I guess I'm trying to say, I think they'll have total control of what people learn. And it already almost seems like they have total control. You know what I mean?
9: Well, I think it's interesting that they are now putting in place programs so that you don't borrow more than your degree can sustain. And this may be good in that I know that for my own son, who's 21, we talked about that not all degrees are going to be financially equal when you come into the marketplace. Yeah, that's that for sure. Some degrees people are going to pay you to have, and other degrees uh, you're going to have just because you enjoyed learning that medieval literature or uh, might want to go teach philosophy. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, it's not that you shouldn't study, but you should be aware of the financial clout of each degree so that you don't get yourself in an upside down situation where you're borrowing money with the belief that uh, you're gonna be able to earn as much as a chemical engineer earns uh, with a uh, uh, degree in humanities perhaps. But I think that education for the person to make an informed decision and then do what their heart calls them to do is the freedom that we've enjoyed here in America that uh, you don't want to give up. And you also don't want to give up the ability for people to have, um, uh, to, to, to go from the lowest economic strata to the highest, to be highly rewarded if they are able to produce something that's great for the economy. And, and it, it gives you that edge, it gives you that uh, creativity, uh, it creates an abundance. Um, I think that if you look at the final regimes of the workings of communist countries. Yes, they can drive uh, various things in a hurry. Uh, I was in Cuba in 2021. Everybody had a mask. They do wait in line. Uh, they all got their uh, 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 the, the uh, uh, vaccines no, one after the other. They, they, things happen quickly in a communist country, and that's kind of good. But then again, there was no food on the shelves. There was no entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, There wasn't any reason to really want to do a whole lot more. Because even if you did do all that extra study and you became the doctor, you didn't make all that much more than the trash collector. And so you kind of took away a lot of incentive for people to do more and to give back to the economy. So there, there is all that negative and, and I think that we're talking about that kind of philosophy. It's not just students that have borrowed a whole lot of money. And it's not just the students themselves. And we're talking about that's $1.7 trillion and how are they going to pay it back and should they have expected to have it forgiven and maybe they weren't responsible at the front end. I hear arguments on both sides, but keep in mind, this is $1.7 trillion. We also have over a trillion dollars in credit card debt. This stuff is mushroomed since 2008 when we only have like $600 billion in those areas. And if we start seeing defaults, there are economists who are saying that this may be the domino effect or the straws that are starting to add onto the camel's back that may cause a collapse in our economy a recession that would impact everybody
2: yeah and that that's the fear i think that most of us have Folks, we're on with Bill Dendys, a financial advisor with Raymond James, and we're going to continue this discussion. And I want to continue pulling on that particular thread. What happens when uh, the crows come home to roost with all the consumer debt that we've amassed? That's that's reached uh, an epic level, as well as our national debt. We just hit $33 trillion for the first time. We're borrowing $2 trillion just to cover the interest on the $33 trillion that we owe now. These are astronomical numbers. I don't even know how many zeros those are. I've never had to count to a trillion. But, folks, stick with us. We're coming right back with Bill Dendy. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
2: All right, America, welcome back. We're getting to your calls momentarily. Folks, we're on with Bill Dendy. He's a financial advisor with Raymond James. And my question to him was, uh, we have a student loan debacle that we all know about. We have a consumer debt problem that we all know about. And we have a federal uh, deficit issue with our federal debt uh, finally getting to 33 $3 $3 trillion, $2 trillion is currently going, uh, is being borrowed to cover the interest on that. Bill Dendy, where do we go?
9: Well, it seems like we've got our debt snowball going on. And uh, every time we've raised the debt ceiling, we say that's astronomical. We, we're we going to have to stop. It's going to get high enough to where we're going to use a debt ceiling for what it was intended to do, which is to stop Government spending—we just like a household with a finite number of resources, with potentially infinite desires. Uh, you you have to start prioritizing the desires and not do everything you want to do. And our challenge is: uh, no politician wants to be the one to take anything away, and it's a lot easier just to keep adding. So the idea was a debt ceiling would make us have to do that hard negotiation. But instead, what it's caused is every time we come up to the debt ceiling, we threaten to close down the government. And if we close down the government, we send everyone home except the non-essentials. The non-essentials are expected to work for free for a while while Congress debates and figures it out and then ends up going ahead and raising the debt ceiling once again. So I don't know if we have a solution for this. Uh, the question is how long can it go on? And it will go on for as long as the world will allow it to go on and continue to recognize the United States as um, the currency as good and our word is good. Uh, the United States is one of the few countries that has never repudiated debt. We have never defaulted. We pay our debt. We may borrow money to pay it with, but we pay that debt, by golly. And so as long as we continue to pay and the world continues to trade with us uh, and we continue to have that uh, Uh, strong economy, uh, which is based upon our ability to produce and uh, um, uh, have output and creativity. Uh, It looks like it has been able to continue on, but a lot of economists say it can and it has, but it may one day hit a breaking point and we may hit the brakes in a big hurry. And that could be that big recession that people have been worried about for a lot of years now.
2: How do you think, do you think that the consumer debt continues to go up or do you think the fact that the Fed continues to raise interest rates uh, is going to slow down consumer debt growth because of the shrinking economy or does it balloon from here forward?
9: Well, it's kind of interesting that for a lot of consumers, as the cost of things was going up, you uh, in over two years, we looked at uh, uh, almost a 20% increase over that two year period on most. Uh, things that consumers consume. So if, if they were seeing their cost of things go up by 20%, but their salaries not going up by nearly that much, right. uh, with almost every dollar already spoken for, uh, a lot of folks turn to their credit cards to maintain their lifestyle. Uh, they, they didn't do the old what's our needs versus uh, our wants and, and make some right. hard decisions. They did the easy thing, which is to use the credit card unfortunately in order to slow down the inflation uh the fed raises interest rates and credit card debt being variable interest rate debt got more expensive to carry each dollar uh variable interest rate mortgages got more expensive at the same time that everything else was costing more so it was like a one-two punch for the consumer and we had the credit card debt once again as we mentioned rise up over a trillion dollars Uh, you eventually reach the point where people have to finally have that rough conversation with themselves and Mm -hmm. figure a way to stop this rapid accumulation of debt that they may not be able to pay back. And it'll happen one way or another. They will either default on their payments and the credit will go away and they will be forced to make a decision, or they will consciously make a decision that I'm not going to keep wasting this many dollars in interest each month, and I will start uh, slowing things down. But either way, it's going to probably create more of a slowdown. And that's what the Fed wanted. The Fed wanted us to slow down our right. demand. Seems to be
2: working. All right, Bill Dendy, stick with us. Uh, we're coming right back. We're on with Bill Dendy, financial advisor with Raymond James. Don't move a muscle.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
2: Welcome back. We're on with Bill Dendy, financial advisor with Raymond James, founder of Alicorn Investment Management. And we're going to go to Mark in Cleveland, Ohio. Mark, you got 20 seconds. Go for it.
6: All right, Mr. Dendy. Uh, why would these lenders, knowing these people are going to use the money, like I say, not maybe for just school, but... auto, clothing, whatever they might desire, knowing that when you come to borrow money already, that tells you that person doesn't have funds available for spending.
9: Well, it's kind of interesting that of this $1.7 trillion of student loan debt, 92% of that Is not private lenders. That's federal-backed student loan debt. So a lot of this is backed by our government, so they're not as worried about getting paid back because the government's pretty sure that they can eventually get that money paid back.
2: Bill Dendy, thank you for your response. Thanks for being with us tonight. Folks, check him out online. And Open Phone America is coming up straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And this is the third and final hour of the program where you get to call in and be heard on whatever topic you like. We've had some really interesting discussions. We had Congressman Matt Gates on earlier, correcting the record, um, firing back at his critics, and uh, it was a pretty good discussion. If you missed it, check it out at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. That will be up shortly, right after we wrap up this hour. And We also had some uh, excellent conversation with Lee Smith, who uh, had a really good piece on this Iranian spy who's apparently working in the Pentagon, chief of staff to the uh, deputy secretary for operations. And that's just crazy. And we talked about the, the current situation with debt, college loan debt, credit card debt and federal debt. We're in bad shape. Hopefully it gets better now. I want to talk about Biden. I started off with this a little bit earlier last night. I talked about it as well. We have Biden building 200 miles of border wall saying that, sorry. 20 miles. I keep getting that number wrong. (laughs) Two feet, 20 miles, 200 miles, whatever it is. And whatever the case is, 20 miles of border wall. And he's saying, no, they're doing it. I got my hands tied. It's, it's Congress forcing me to do it. Uh, It's the Trump administration forcing me to do it. Uh, yet, it's he that had to waive these 26 federal laws to get it done. Uh, but he's out there today with Alejandro Mayorcas and KJP. They're all out there saying, no, 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 no. They're twisting our arm, folks. They're twisting our arm. Listen to this.
9: I'll well, answer one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, it, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what it was appropriate.
3: I can't
0: stop
3: that. Do you believe
2: the border wall works? No. And that's another episode of the powerless president, Joe El Barroso Biden. Uh, He he can't do nothing about it. I don't believe him for a second. Listen, I want the border wall, but I don't believe Biden for a second. I think he understands that he has to control the flow of his uh, illegal human smuggling business. And that's how he's going to control the flow is pushing people to where he wants them. So he's going to build. The rest of this under the guise of whatever. At least that's my opinion. Um, What do I know? Now, this comes um, on the heels of a report that says that we now have students or teenagers that are being used by the cartels to become drug mules or human trafficking people or smugglers. Listen to this. CBS News. Cartels are using social media to recruit American teenagers for drugs, human smuggling, et cetera, in Arizona. In, a, in essence, they're serving as Uber for the cartels. Now, a couple of years back, uh, not even, maybe a year ago, we talked about how they were actually calling Uber. People were getting uh, to the Yuma sector and, and getting into Arizona and calling an Uber, telling them am a mile marker or whatever, and voila, they were getting a ride to wherever they needed to go. That's how sophisticated this... Um, This situation has become so uh, according to CBS, the crisis that's gripping the southern border is turning uh, Cochise County in Arizona into a dangerous raceway for drugs, human smuggling. We all know about that. But now it involves Americans, including American teenagers who are being recruited through the by the cartels through social media. That's fascinating. Sheriff Mark Daniels. He uh, or sorry, Danels. He says we have over 100 juveniles in at least The last 18 months that we've apprehended in this county smuggling all the way from the age of 13 and 12 years old, um, driving their grandma's car, a friend's car, mom and dad's car all the way down here. And they're they're being recruited through social media. I think this is crazy. I mean, uh, I I could not imagine. Hey, dad, I want to go hang out tonight. Mom, can I borrow the car? Sure, honey. Uh, I'm just going to be down at the border smuggling some humans. Absolute insanity. If this is not out of control, I don't know what is. We heard about the kid that got his arm caught in a a mechanical uh, chicken separation machine at a chicken factory. Turns out the kid's in the country illegally, has no family in the country. This is slave labor being brought across the border just so that whomever chicken company can have cheap labor. And Joe Biden allows it. Unaccompanied minors. We've got to let them in. We're let, asylum seekers. Everybody's looking. to No. Keep building the wall. Build more wall. I mean, this is the only, not the only way. I mean, there's a lot of ways. The number one way is for, to allow the federal law enforcement that's at the border to do their job. Border patrol. Uh, they have to be able to do their job. And sadly, this is where we are. So I want to go to your calls and get your, uh, your thoughts on everything we were talking about tonight. Let's go to Kim. Shields, Michigan, KDKA. Kim, go right ahead.
7: Good show, Rich. Um, What I was calling about is this Biden, all of a sudden he urgently needs 20 miles of border wall. When, like three weeks ago, I heard a story, it was on a number of my shows, that the Biden administration was scrapping the The expensive 30-foot metal fence panels that uh, were, like, laying out in the desert, resting. Yeah, they got they, they'd gotten damaged
2: because of the elements.
7: Yeah, and he was scrapping them like guys that go around with their pickup truck uh, on trash day. He was scrapping those for pennies on the dollar. Now, all of a sudden, he needs 20 miles. I don't know what this is. I don't I think Biden, you can't believe a word he said, and Mayorkas is is even worse, and KGP is is so unbelievably dishonest. But um, they can't clean this up. Um, you know what I mean? They could even if. Tomorrow, Biden wised up and shut down the southern border. There's already seven, between seven and eight million illegals that came in, in in the last almost three years. They're not going anywhere till President Trump gets back in. And even then, some experts have said that unwinding what Biden did in the last two and a half years could take decades. I hope it doesn't take that long. I think when President Uh, Trump gets it, he could fix it quick. But they can't, no matter what Biden tries to do in Mayorkas, they can't clean this up in 13 months. People are going to see this. And I say to Texas and these other states that are busing them, keep it up, keep it up. Every city you can think of. Now they're talking about um, taking busloads of them to Delaware, where Biden has two houses you know, and like dumping them there. I I say, go, go for it. Let the people see exactly what this nut job freak show administration Mm -hmm. did. You know what I mean?
2: I'm with you on that one. Uh, Listen, Kim, I think you're, you're, you're spot on. And, and I do agree. It's going to, I don't even know if we can fix it. That's the whole thing. We've never really had the apparatus to deport the people that were here before. The massive number of people we have now, I just don't see how it happens. Um, There's been all this talk about not being able to use federal law enforcement. I mean, you you would need, like, all of government, and not just federal government, I'm talking about all of every government, um, county sheriffs, local police departments. You would need everybody, uh, everybody in every capacity of government to try and do this. And uh, people are going to push back saying it's unconstitutional, it's profiling, it's this and it's that. And it's probably right. You know, they'll probably see me driving down the road and pull me. Hey, listen, brown guy, are you here? Let me see your papers. I I just don't see how they do it. I don't see how they pull it off. Uh, The the key, in my opinion, is to to stop it. I hope they can do it. And I mean, there's obviously ways that you can start to deport people, especially the ones you know, the ones that you've allowed in on some sort of phony asylum claim. But uh, all, all the gotaways that preferred not to say anything and not pass go and collect $200 on their way in, they're in the wind. And and that to me is is uh, is a huge problem. Because every time they give these numbers, they go, and that doesn't even count the gotaways. The gotaways, I think, are our biggest problem. So um, we'll see how this thing plays out. Uh, it, it, I think this is a problem that's here to stay as well, lamentably. Kim in Shields, Michigan, listening on KDKA Online. Thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate it. Folks, are coming back to the rest of your calls. 833-482-5337.
1: 833-4VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez, with an S. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night. With Rich Valdez, call now 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
2: All right, welcome back, America. So the cartels are now using social media to recruit teens in the United States, American teenagers, to act as drug mules and human smugglers. In effect, Uber for the cartels. Uh, This is just so disappointing to me. But it is what it is. And that's what's going on. Thank you, Joe Biden. Thank you, Democrats that support Joe Biden's uh, disastrous border policy. I I I can't imagine uh, what the next low will be. Uh, Because, you know, I always say, you know, it's disappointing but not surprising. This one actually did surprise me. Uh, I didn't think that we'd be recruiting teenagers from social media. Once you say it, then I go, yeah, I could see how that would work. But I honestly didn't see that coming. That, that's one I didn't see coming our way. I uh, want to get your opinions on this as well. 866-505-4626. The legacy line is open and ready for you. Let's go to Paul, Boise, Idaho, KBOI. Paul, go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. Hey. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, you
8: know, there's there's a lot of topics packed into what you just were talking about, just right then and there. But I I think the thing that struck me the most when Biden took office and the uh, the deaths that started with the fentanyl that started to get worse and worse and worse, and the bodies are just seemed to piling up. It, it to me it was almost like Joe Joe Biden was. Was, was really trying to make a point about something and and was w- somebody that, that that can't make the point but tries and uses his administration to make the point and and it's very confusing what they're trying to do i thought that he was complicit with the fentanyl coming over the border um, but the numbers seem to to jump from oh, I think it was ninety thousand to this last year, they jumped to a hundred and eleven thousand deaths from yeah. fentanyl, and and it's not it's not the kind of fentanyl that that hospitals use. It's it's something that's a lot stronger, and it, it can be cut up and put in every kind of drug, yeah. that, that's used by drug abusers. So people that are hundred percent taking a drug or taking what, what they think is something that doesn't have it in it and it's got it in it and it's killing them.
2: And- Paul, I think you're hundred percent right. You know what's happening now. Uh, again, my, my take on this is that Biden is half. I don't care. And the other half compromise, where somebody's leveraging him one way or another and getting him to do what they want to do. You know, some people there are. Listen, there's a lot of people out there and and I'm going to make an example that some people may get mad at and some may not. Uh, I know a lot of people growing up and even now that I have kids that, that, you know, uh, teenagers and young adults, there's a lot of people that say things like, look, they might as well drink here at home with me I'd rather them drink here at home with me or whatever. I know people that that have been using marijuana for a long time and they'll be, you know what, I I hope my kids first uh, time smoking weed is with me rather than doing it in the street. You never know. Right. So there are people that take that that uh, approach to things. And I feel like Joe Biden's doing the same thing. Look, they're going to smuggle people anyway. Look, they're going to bring in drugs anyway. Huh, we're not going to stop them. We've never stopped them. We've had a war on drugs since the 1980s. Nobody's stopping anything. And, and I feel like he just takes this laissez-faire approach. And he's like, look, so I'll get, let me get into bed with these guys. Let me just, you know, make a deal. Or he's he's leveraged. Where they say, but again, what leverage could they possibly have? I don't know. If it's a threat, I mean, is it dirt on him? The dirt on him is everywhere. There's nothing but dirt on Joe Biden. So I feel like it's just the cartels have a stronghold. They have more power than Biden has. And I I honestly think he just doesn't care. He's saying, you know what? We'll let the people in. We'll let them in. I got hairy legs. He just wants to let people in and and hope for the best because he's thinking, look, I'm almost out of here let them in we'll, we'll have new voters we'll have more people in our democrat districts uh the apportionment will be different because now we'll have more people in the district and it's a win for everybody you know i i don't think he ideologically supports this idea because he spent a good a good a good amount of his career excuse me um railing against illegal immigration just like barack obama did just like many of them did until they changed so that's the part of me that makes me consider the fact that He might be leveraged. The cartels have a lot of money, and they're able to do things in a lot of different ways. And again, cartels aren't necessarily known for being uh, shrewd negotiators. They're known for being extortionists and murderers. So I could see, you know, their leverage could be a threat. I don't know all of it. I do know you're right. I think he's complicit in it. I believe that Joe Biden is running the biggest human smuggling operation we've ever seen, and it's happening right here in the United States at our southern border. And that has to stop. He's literally in charge. He's the conductor of the Underground Railroad that now brings in uh, child slaves for labor, cheap labor, uh, adults, women, you name it. They're bringing everybody in, in addition to drugs. And it's so unfortunate, but it it literally is where we are. And I I feel badly about it because I feel like just nobody cares. I, I feel like people are starting to care. When I say people, I don't mean the millions of you that are listening. Uh, you guys are always sharp and have your finger on the pulse, but I'm talking about people who don't care about politics or the news. Where you know, uh, yesterday the big talk of the town, or Tuesday was, uh, or when, it was Wednesday, yeah, right? it was yesterday that Matt, Matt Gates uh, uh, filed the motion on Tuesday, or was it Monday? Either way, whatever day it was, there was still uh, that was the big news of the day, and yet people were just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, this historic thing of ousting a speaker, and there were so so those people that are just uh, uninformed and uninterested. I, they don't care enough about this issue. And some of them are starting to care, saying, man, you know, it's out of control. And I see people changing their positions slowly. But it's it's got to get so bad for people to be like, you know what, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, I, I, but I don't want this. And I just had a situation like that. A friend of mine who I've argued at the top of my lungs, listen, you don't want a gun, don't get a gun. You don't want to carry a gun? Don't carry a gun. But let people who want to own one and carry one, let them do what they've got to do. That's their right. And he goes, no, 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 because no, you should have a course. You should have this. You should have that. You shouldn't. Nobody, you lose your temper and you start doing things. And then he tells me he he went to Pennsylvania for the weekend and that somebody started, uh, he had a road rage incident with somebody who was, you know, being belligerent and aggressive with him. And I'm going to tell you the story on the way back. Uh, And again, if you want to join the conversation, feel free. We've got calls right now from Florida, New York, California, Vermont, and more. 833 482 5337 833 4Valdez. Stick around. I'm going to tell you what my buddy, it's actually my buddy from the restaurant. Uh, We were just talking today over lunch. And uh, you're not going to believe what he told me. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
6: Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio
1: has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
3: And I regret that it got to this point. Honestly, I gave a very serious speech on August 31st on the House floor, and I laid out the things that the speaker had to do, and I stressed that it was within Kevin McCarthy's total control whether or not he would face a motion to vacate, because contrary to what you've heard from my critics, I wasn't making demands on Kevin McCarthy to compel some sort of action from Joe Biden or the Senate, some impossible task, right? It's not an impossible task for the House of Representatives to put up a balanced budget like he promised
2: all right that is congressman matt gates on the program earlier uh... saying that he regrets the way this turned out and um, again not that he doesn't regret what he did he regrets that it had to come to this and uh... i have to agree it's a regrettable situation but it is where we are and if you want to listen to the entirety of that interview tonight we did it live at ten o'clock Uh, With uh, Congressman Matt Gates, check it out at richvaldesamericatnight.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast and uh, check the little check to have notifications, automatic downloads. This way it's there for you whenever you want to listen to it. And you can listen to any episode uh, that we do here at America at Night. Any interview you may have missed, you can check it out anytime on demand, absolutely free. Just go to richvaldesamericatnight.com and feel free to share it with a friend. Now, let's continue. Uh, I wanted to uh, get your opinions on that and on the fentanyl and the cartels and all of this crazy because I find it just insane that the cartels are in such control, not only of the border, but of the entire drug operation. And it it, it should not be that way. You know, there's a war on drugs, right? So we should be, in effect, having a war. You know, we, we kill some of them. They shoot back, you know. We're not doing anything to stop this except exacerbate it by opening the border, actually physically opening the gates. And there's video of that. And I think they've even admitted as much that they've done that. And this is where people need to know what's going on, because ultimately people will change their opinions. As I told you, my friend, this was more on, on the crime than on the immigration. He was already kind of turning on immigration when he was telling me he's Cuban, came from Cuba on a jet ski to Miami, uh, or Key West, rather. And he's telling me, we have to stop bringing the Cubans in. And I said, well, why? that sounds racist, sir. And he said, no, it's not. He said, I came here to work, and I'm, I'm working, and I made a business for myself, and I'm doing what I got to do. He said, "There, this is just like the Marielle Boatlift uh, back in the 80s, where they're sending the worst of the worst in Cuba, and they're sending them here. And I said, well, you know, when Trump said that, you guys got all angry, right? You and your liberal friends. <laughs> and, he, you know, he turned to me and said, he said, well, no, Trump said that the Mexicans were rapists. I'm telling you that these people are people from the street, people that were probably going to be incarcerated. And uh, Cuba's just like, hey, do what you got to do. Now, this same individual, good friend of mine, tells me he's in Pennsylvania over the weekend. And uh, somebody's, you know, honking, driving aggressively, um, flipping him the bird. And, and he's going at it with the guy. And while he's driving, his wife decides to call the cops. And she's like, oh, there's a guy. He's like trying to, you know, uh, cut us off. And he's not leaving us alone. And the husband was retaliating and and being just as aggressive. And she says, no, the the cops are telling us to pull over to the right lane and keep going and give him the mile marker. So as he pulls over to go into the right lane, as his wife is telling him to do because she's on the phone with the cops, uh, he finds he tells me. The guy thinks that I'm retreating from him. So now he's even more aggressive and chasing me. And and he says, you know, now the guy's um, throwing things at me He had a bottle of water in his car. He throws it at, at, at my car. Uh, we're on the highway and we're, you know, right next to each other, uh, driving at the same speed. And he's yelling. and He's got his hand out the window and all sorts of stuff. He said the guy was just livid with him. A- and he says, you know, I have my my wife and a family member that's visiting from Chile in the car. And they're going at it, and they're having this big ordeal. And he's like, I want to retaliate, but I have two women in the car with me, and, you know, I, I'm trying to, you know, work with with, uh, with with his spouse and whatever. And ultimately, you know, he says uh, they keep going and they keep going. And, and he says, you know, and that's when it occurred to me that my wife's on the phone calling the police. This man is here trying to run me off the road, throwing everything in his car at me. And the only thing I have to protect myself is a cell phone to call the police that are saying we're on our way. And he said, I'll tell you, at that moment, I realized I need a right to carry a gun with me. He said, if I had the gun with me, I said, well, you know, again, you live in New Jersey and visiting in Pennsylvania. So uh, according to the current gun laws, you'd be in some trouble, right? Because you'd have to have your gun in the glove box with your ammunition in the trunk, And good luck pulling over to the guy that's trying to run you off the road and kill you and saying, excuse me, sir, hold on. I'm going to load my gun uh, and then I'm going to try and defend myself. And I said, this is why concealed carry is absolutely necessary because in a moment like that, this is what happens. Finally, the cops, he says he could see the cops through his rearview mirror. The guy sees the cops as well, goes into the fast lane and the shoulder on the left side of the road disappears. The cops pull over to, to talk to him about what happened and the bad guy gets away. And the cop reassured him that they had already gotten the plate and there's cameras everywhere and they have other cops on the road and that they're going to catch him a little bit further up ahead. But it was just so interesting. Somebody that was so adamant about not having a, a, a gun ever and that nobody should have one went to say, no, I not only should have one, I should have been able to have it on me and loaded. Because in a moment like that, my life could have been in danger, that and my family. And, and I thought, wow, this is what it has to get to. People have to individually experience the the detriment of, of leftist policies in order to understand that our rights are absolute. It's just fascinating. Anyway, I want to get back to your calls. Uh, let's go to Margaret calling from Burlington, Vermont. WVMT, go right ahead.
10: Hi. Hi, Rick. Thanks for Hi. taking me. Um, the uh, woman from Michigan, you know, and all of this, Business about deporting people and how we w- wouldn't be able to handle that. Well, I think we've got bigger, much bigger problems than that, and much bigger problems than the drugs. And I'd like to quote the report I read from Michigan Gangs from Central and South America are targeting luxury homes, said Sheriff Michael Bouchard of Oakland County, Michigan. It's a very affluent part of Michigan. I. I grew up there, um, I'm, I've been in Vermont for decades now, but that's, I know Michigan. And <clears throat> boy, I'll tell you, Rick, um, These uh, those other things where the, those masked people run into the stores and steal things, I kept thinking those are American citizens, but this report from the sheriff in Oakland County makes me wonder,
2: You know, Margaret, what's interesting about that is I I wouldn't be surprised if there are some uh, illegal aliens that are involved in that. But I do think for the most part they are American citizens, uh, just based on the video footage I'm seeing. But it doesn't mean that there aren't gangs out there. And this has always been a problem, right? There's always been like MS-13 and and the 8th Street or 8th Avenue, whatever the name of that gang is. Forgive me for uh, getting their name wrong. But there's a, a bunch of gangs that are in and out of jail and, and they do these things. And, and it's organized crime. That's how gangs survive. They, they sell drugs. They do extortion. They do robberies. They do all sorts of things. And, and now that they also know that they can get away with murder, they're going to do it. And, and this is part of the problem that we have. Again, it's the same thing. It's these leftist policies that embolden people. And listen, I'm also emboldened. Uh, I, I, I can't lie. right? I, I, I try to be the most civil person I can be, and I am for the most part. However, when I go out somewhere, especially in New York City, the first thing that goes through my head is whatever happens to me, I'm doing whatever I've got to do because the reality of a cop showing up or getting something done is slim. They're not, they don't selectively apply the law. They did in the case of uh, Daniel Penny, um, but that was because it was caught on video and, it, and the guy died. But if you're somewhere in New York City And somebody's, you know, in your face. We saw a video the other day. You didn't see it, but uh, I talked about the story on the air of this um, left-wing activist. I forget his name. I think his name was Ryan Carson. He left the wedding with his girlfriend. He's sitting on a bench for a second. Maybe they had a little bit to drink. They wanted to get a breath of fresh air. They're walking. A guy passes by. Uh, They get into some sort of altercation. They start talking. They're discussing something. He's like, get out of here, get out of here, like motioning his hand, like, you know, leave. The guy smacks him in the face or cuts his neck, one or the other. You can't really tell because the video is grainy. And then they cut out the part, I guess, where the actual, the rest of the attack happens. But he gets stabbed to death right in front of his girlfriend. And, you know, last night we had a guest on, Dr. Vince Callahan, and he explained uh, these responses that we have. um, Fight, flight, or freeze. And she froze. And my thought was that she was in shock, but she literally had a cell phone in her hand And and didn't seem to call anybody, she was frozen in fear, and I think this is what people are going through, and it's incredibly traumatic for the people that are involved, the people that are in the stores, the people that are getting robbed on the streets. There are videos now on TikTok teaching people how to do this um, organized stealing, this shoplifting. It's a robbery. And and it, in my opinion, it's all orchestrated, not just by the, the, the gangs that are going in there and these flash mobs that are going into places and looting them. But it's organized when you have law enforcement uh, told to stand down, told that we're going to have no cash bail in X, Y and Z city in America or in New York and all of New York state. We're just not going to do it. We're not going to prosecute. when We have uh, pro-crime, progressive prosecutors that coddle criminals saying, look, if you're not killing people, we're not doing it. We're not going to uh, prosecute these crimes of, 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 of aggravated assault or even attempted murder in New York City. They, 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 don't, they let you right out with no cash bail. This is crazy. So murder, they'll keep you on. Attempted murder, they won't. It's so sick what's going on right now. And, and you're right. You've got these gangs. Many of them um, are illegal aliens and whatnot in certain parts of the country, and they're doing what they do. People are uh, – there's a gang. There was a Chinese gang. There was another gang that are making their rounds around the country, stealing catalytic converters off of every car they could find. People are waking up in their neighborhood, and, and their cars just are like, you know, super loud, because they're cutting the muffler, the tailpipe, and they're taking these catalytic converters. It, there's so much crime going on, and uh, lamentably, we're not doing enough to stop it. And I think people will eventually uh, figure it out, just like my buddy did with his road rage incident uh, in Pennsylvania. Anyway, Margaret, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Folks, there's more to come. Straight ahead, your calls and more. Don't go anywhere.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
9: Valdez. All
2: right, America, to the phones we go, getting your opinions on all the hot topics uh, this this evening. 833-4825-337, 833-4Valdez. Let us go to Todd, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Go right ahead.
5: Hey, Rich, uh, great show tonight. Um, I was calling about the uh, cartels, and, uh, you know, Bidenomics has been great for them, hasn't it? Oh God! Yeah, um, you know the, <laughs> the cartels are like contractors, and they are accomplishing the agendas of not only uh, the Chinese Communist Party, but also globalists like George Soros and Klaus Schwab, and they're accomplishing the political objectives of uh, Biden and the Democrats. And you know the communists flooded this country with heroin, they flooded with cocaine, uh, they've used. The,
2: Todd, you're fading in and out. Let's see if we can get your phone fixed uh, because you're making some good points, but I can barely hear you. Uh, I want to continue with Patrick in Oxnard, California, KVTA. Patrick, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
6: Welcome. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. Um, Yes, sir. I want to say a couple things that I can. One, longtime Jim Bohannon listener, and uh, can't say enough about Jim. Uh, I want to let you know, yes. And you, uh, to me, have done an awesome job. Um, Thank you. You're bringing your experience in along with a macro and patient articulation, which is really great. Uh, You were a little bit uh, soft when you were getting comfortable, but I think you're pretty comfortable in your seat now, and it's enjoyable to listen to you.
9: Thank you. Um, I appreciate
6: it. And also, I appreciate your haircut because it's not a nuisance style.
2: <laughs> I, I do appreciate that. Uh, I guess some of us go to the same barber. And what's on your mind tonight, Patrick?
6: Hey, uh, first, I need to say I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You know, I've been to more than one rodeo. Um, I'm a Reagan guy. I followed politics since I was very young. And the subject I want to bring up is the materials for the wall. Now, When I first heard about those and being scrapped, I thought, well, Trump being the businessman he is, he should pick those up and either use them in his administration and pick up a penny or two. I know he wouldn't want to make much, but he's got his hands kind of full. So I understand that. But what I'm really curious about now is we hear about the materials being sold and now all of a sudden the wall is going to be built again. I'm wondering where the materials went. And if we can trace that, because with Biden, when you follow the money, that's his priority. And we know that he's done some other things. And it's just more than a coincidence. They say there are no coincidences. I realize that we can't have government investigate it, but I know that there's going to be some security firms and investigation firms that are – sorry about the background – that are – Um, post-military and a number of other ones that I would sure like to see that investigated and find out and follow the money, if you know what I mean.
2: Sure. Listen, I agree with you on that one, Patrick. And part of what I I think is happening is I don't think it's the same exact section of border wall. Um, if If I'm wrong on that, then I'm wrong. But I believe that this is a different section that they're building the wall at that was scheduled to be built and it's going to be built. Uh, the, the construction that they had halted at the other place, uh, I believe, was where the, the materials went bad and they started rusting or whatever the case was, uh, and they scrapped those. So um, I, I, part of me wants to think that Biden's telling the truth, that they're forcing him to do it. But I, I really just don't believe it. I think Biden can figure out a way out of a lot of things when you're president of the United States, not the least of which is being um, forced to build a wall you didn't want to build. Uh, My my contention here is that Biden really wants to control the sections of the border that the cartel is indicating they need uh, controlled, so that they can uh, put this wall up here and make sure we're driving traffic this way. It's easier for us to bring people across. And that's it. Or we need you to put those roads in here and whatever and put the wall there, but put a door in the wall so it's easier for us to bring people in. Either way, it sounds like a lose um, uh, uh, a losing situation if Biden's the one that's in charge. Those are my thoughts. Patrick, thank you for the call from California on KVTA. Excellent station. Folks, we come back to the speed round. Your calls and more. Don't go anywhere.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With rich
2: Valdez all right, for the phones we go. It's the speed round. Let's check in with Jane calling from New York on w g d j Jane go right ahead
7: <laughs> hey rich, okay, you're right about the my friends in Long Island can't go ten miles from their house without running into m s thirteen but Terrible. my main concern, okay, they're not doing ballot harvesting. They're doing voter harvesting. How do we take into account and regulate and fix the number of voters they are adding that will slant our votes when we go to vote? How do they regulate that? Because I'm kicking and screaming at my town hall.
2: And you should be. You should be kicking and screaming. Again, I think ultimately this boils down to Uh, Us having these controls in place and and not allowing people like uh, Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania to just automatically register every last person that gets a driver's license. To me, this is an open invitation for massive fraud because we've got to make sure, again, I don't even know the rules. Maybe that's a little research I need to do, finding out what is it that we need to do to get a license. In New Jersey, you do have to prove where you're from. But are we doing that across the board? Who knows? Anyway, thanks, Jane. Take care. Good night. God bless. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere because we're coming back
4: tomorrow. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together.